Sometime later, Joseph was told, your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied his strength and sat up on the bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me and said to me, I am going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples, and I will give, you, give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Any children born to you after them will be yours. In the territory they inherit, they will be reckoned under the names of their brothers. As I was returning from Paddan, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan, while we were still on the way, a little distance from Ephrath. So I buried her there beside the road of Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. When Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, Who are these? They are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel said, bring them to me so that I may bless them. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of old age, and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him, and his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again, and now God has allowed me to see your children too. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knees and bowed down with his face to the ground. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right towards Israel's left hand and Manasseh on his left towards Israel's right hand, and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger. And crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly on the earth. When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. So he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him, No, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people, and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become a group of nations. He blessed them that day and said, In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, I am about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. And to you I give one more ridge of land, than to your brothers, the ridge I took from the Amorites with my sword and my bow. Then Jacob called for his sons and said, Gather round so that I can tell you what will happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father Israel. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, the first sign of my strength, excelling in honor, excelling in power. Turbulent as the waters, you will no longer excel, for you went up onto your father's bed, onto my couch, and defiled it. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly, for they have killed men in their anger and hamstrung oxen as they pleased. Cursed be their anger, so fierce, and their fury, so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. 
Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. Zebulun will live by the seashore and become a haven for ships. His border will extend towards Sidon. Issachar is a scrawny donkey lying down among the sheepfolds. When he sees how good is his resting place and how pleasant is his land, he will bend his shoulder to the burden and submit to forced labor. Dan will provide justice for his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan will be a snake by the roadside, a viper along the path that bites the horse's heels so that its rider tumbles backwards. I look for your deliverance, Lord. Gad will be attacked by a band of raiders, but he will attack them at their heels. Asher's food will be rich. He will provide delicacies fit for a king. Naphtali is a doe set free that bears beautiful horns. Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. With bitterness, archers attacked him. They shot at him with hostility, but his bow remained steady. His strong arm stayed supple because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, because of your father's God who helps you, because of the almighty who blesses you with blessings of the skies above, blessings of the deep springs below, blessings of the breast and womb. Your father's blessings are greater than the blessings of the ancient mountains, than the bounty of the age-old hills. Let all these rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the prince among his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he devours the prey. In the evening he divides the plunder. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel, and this is what their father said to them when he blessed them, giving each their blessing appropriate to him. This is God's word. Thanks so much, Charlie, for reading. Long passage. Sorry about that. Well, no, I'm not sorry. Of course I'm not sorry. It's the word of God, isn't it? That's not what I meant to say. Well done for, for following uh, along and keeping up with it. We're coming into the end of our series in, in Joseph and Genesis. Um, next week's going to be our final one. Um, and, and even then, I feel like it would have been lovely to have spent two or three Sundays going through these verses. But alas, Christmas is coming. We've got to move on. But let's, let's get through this. And I think of all the sermons we've preached, this is probably going to be the more dense of them. Um, so you need to be a bit more alert, a bit more aware, um, but, but listen out for something, something that will bring comfort to your heart. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much that your word is a light unto our feet, that it shows us the way. And this morning we pray that it would show us the way to you, to your son, show us the way to blessing. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Last week I mentioned right at the end um, about Ayan Ali, who um, was a Muslim, then became a very staunch atheist, and in the last um, couple of weeks she's, she's come out as being, come on, that's not quite the right word, but she's declared that she is now a Christian, that she puts her faith uh, in the Lord Jesus. And it's made quite a stir 
Um, it, it's made people turn their heads because she was so strong in her opposition to the Christian faith. I read you something from the interview that she gave, and she said this, I, I would not be truthful if I attributed my embrace of Christianity solely to the realization that atheism is too weak and a divisive doctrine. I have also turned to Christianity because I ultimately found life without any spiritual solace unendurable. That's that little bit at the end there that I just think will help us as we reflect on these verses this morning. Life without spiritual solace is unendurable. As Christians, we want to say, yes, that is true. But, but what is that spiritual solace that you find in being a Christian? What, what is it that being a Christian, about being a Christian, that makes life endurable? Why does being a Christian stop you being self-destructive? And I want to be clear as I say some of these things, becoming a Christian isn't just about finding some inner healing and inner help, but you really can find solace as a Christian. There are better reasons. There are greater reasons to believe in Jesus. Christianity really is so much more than solace, but it's not less. And these final chapters of Genesis show us something of that solace that a Christian can enjoy. These final chapters are all about blessing and where we can find it. And you know, it it shouldn't surprise us that Genesis ends on the note of blessing because that is where it started, isn't it? God creates the world. He creates humanity. What does he do? He blesses them. Blessing is what God wants to pour out upon us. And these chapters help us understand what that is. So first of all, blessing is found in the youngest son of God. Now the theme of blessing actually kind of started back in chapter 47. In 47 verses 7 to 10, Jacob, you remember, he blesses Pharaoh. And we said that that was a bit odd last week. We said that's a bit of a strange thing. What did Jacob have to offer Pharaoh? He was old. He was starving. He was weak. How could he bless the great Pharaoh? Well, here is one way he blesses Pharaoh through his son, Joseph. You know, imagine that conversation between Pharaoh and Jacob. Jacob says to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let me bless you. Let me say some good things over you. Let me offer you something. And Pharaoh, with all his power and wealth, might be thinking, Jacob, I love the sentiment. You know, kind words. I, I take those words. They're very kind But let's be honest, what on earth can you give me? And Jacob could have said this, couldn't he? Pharaoh, look out of your window. Look out across the wealth and the grandeur of Egypt. That came from me. And Pharaoh and his advisors might well have chuckled at that point, thinking, Jacob, you've gone a little bit senile. You're a bit deluded in your old age. What on earth do you mean that all of this came from you? But Jacob's right, isn't he? Jacob made Egypt wealthy and secure and the superpower of the day. How? Through his son, Joseph. Blessing came to Egypt through Jacob's son. And as we come into chapters 48 to 49, that idea continues as Jacob passes on the promises of God, the promises of salvation to renew the world and put all things right. As he passes those promises of God on to his children... The father brings blessing to the world through his sons. But actually, it's more specific than that. The father, Jacob, brings blessing to the world through his youngest son, 
or the youngest son. Jacob is on his deathbed, and first he calls Joseph into his room, and Joseph brings Manasseh and Ephraim with him, his two sons that he had in Egypt. And Jacob says to Joseph, let me bless your two sons. And look at the words of the blessing in verse 15. He blessed Joseph and said, and he's really blessing the two sons, may the, God be, may the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers and may they increase greatly on the earth. Do you notice where the emphasis is on this blessing? Where the weight of this blessing lies. It's in the description of God, isn't it? There is a promise right at the end. May they increase in number on the face of the earth. But the emphasis, the weight, is on what he says before. And you make you think, what is Jacob actually giving Manasseh and Ephraim when he blesses them? He's giving them his God. May the God of my fathers... May the God who has been my shepherd, may the angel, the God who has redeemed me, may he bless you. And in some sense, whatever comes next, the promise, oh, it's important. It is very important, but it is secondary, isn't it? If you can know this God, if this can be your God, then you are already blessed beyond measure. Listen, let me just look at that a little bit more. Listen to how Jacob speaks of God. He says, God who has been my shepherd all my life to this very day. Don't you love how how Jacob doubles down on the the sense of always with me? He's been my shepherd always to this very day, always. And he he doubles down, I think, because we might look back at his life and and, and wonder, is, is that actually true? You know, when Jacob was having to flee his murderous brother Esau, when Jacob was tricked by his uncle Laban, when Jacob lost his son Joseph, and Jacob says, yes, he was, always with me, always. And that's true for us, brothers. If we know this God, that is true for us, through cancer, through grief, through depression, God is our shepherd always. As you look at Jacob's description of this God, it's not just that he's with us, it's that he delivers us. The angel who has delivered me from all harm. Again, through the life of Jacob, you will see that the angel of the Lord appears, who is an appearance of God himself, at critical times in Jacob's life, to deliver him. But, But when he says, deliver me from all harm, again, you think, Did he really deliver you from all harm? (laughs) The family of Jacob is one of the most dysfunctional families, not only in the Bible, but probably in the whole world. And you wonder, did he really deliver you from all harm? (laughs) But this is the thing, he is dying at this point. And he is still believing at this point. Because if you can believe when you are dying, then it is true the Lord has delivered you from all harm no matter what the experience of your life might have been. So yes, the Lord is his shepherd who has delivered him from all harm. 
So when Jacob passed on the blessing, what is the greatest thing he's passing on? It is his God, his shepherd, his redeemer. I wonder if David had these words in mind, actually, when he wrote Psalm 23. This is three. This is the first time God is called a shepherd. Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You almost don't need the rest of the psalm. The first verse says it all. If this God is my shepherd, I don't want anything else. Paul puts it in Philippians like this, I consider, consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Knowing Jesus is everything. Jacob blesses Manasseh and Ephraim, and the greatest thing he passes on is his God, his shepherd, his redeemer. But now, this is the thing I want to get to, something unexpected happens. See, Jacob's eyesight wasn't great. Verse 10, he could make out shapes, but not details. Now, if someone who wears glasses, I know what that's like. I realized I needed glasses when one morning I went for a run, and in the morning gloom, I said good morning to a post box. (laughs) Jacob could make out shapes, but not details. He couldn't tell Manasseh and Ephraim apart. And so Joseph deliberately brings the two boys before his father, And he sets things up to make sure that the oldest son, Manasseh, ends up under Jacob's right hand to get the greater blessing. But verse 14, Jacob reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head. Though he was the younger, and crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the older. Jacob does the old switcheroo. He gives the greater blessing to Ephraim, the youngest son. The promises of God, the greater blessing, comes to us or comes through the youngest son. And the thing is, that keeps happening in Genesis. This theme keeps repeating. Abraham passes the blessings and the promises on Not to his oldest son, Ishmael, but to his youngest son, Isaac. Isaac passes the blessing and promises on not to his older son, Esau, but to the younger son, Jacob. Back in Genesis 38, when Judah has twins, it's the youngest son who receives the greater inheritance. It's clearly a a big theme in Genesis. And, And it's huge here in chapter 48. Almost a whole chapter is given over to this idea that the wrong son is blessed. The younger son is given the blessing and not the older one. Why is it such a big thing in Genesis? The blessing, the inheritance, the promise coming to the youngest son. Well, actually, this theme, this idea, it builds and it echoes throughout the Old Testament. And as it builds and builds, it shows us where we can find blessing. We will find it in God's youngest son. Now, wait a minute. Who is God's son? Well, Jesus Christ. He is God's only son, isn't he? Well, yes, in one sense, that is true. He is God's only son, and we're not adding members to the Trinity here. But... When you look closely at the Bible, you realize that God has a number of sons. The first person called the son of God is Adam. Now, Adam was, he was meant to be the son who brought blessing to the world. 
That went wrong. The next son of God is the nation of Israel. The Lord calls that whole nation his son. And through Israel, the world was meant to experience the blessing of God. But that went wrong. And then God says to David in 2 Samuel 7, Your sons will be my sons. The kings of Israel will be my sons. Psalm 2 is all about this. But of course, many of those kings fail. Many of those sons do not bring blessing. Until eventually Jesus is born. And in Luke's gospel, when Jesus is baptized, the father says, 3 verse 22, You are my son whom I love. And with you I am well pleased. See, Jesus is the youngest son. Now, of course, Jesus is the eternal son of God according to his divine nature. Jesus has always been the son of God. And there is only one eternal son of God. But according to his human nature, Jesus is born. He's, he ages. He grows up. He is human. And according to his human nature, therefore, he is the youngest son. He came after Adam and Israel and all the sons of David. You see, one thing Genesis keeps telling us is this. Blessing will come through the son, the youngest son of the father. Only in Jesus can we experience all of the blessings of God. According to his human nature, he is the youngest son of the father. And best of all, only in Jesus do we encounter God himself, our shepherd and our redeemer. He is the Lord who David sings about in Psalm 23, the Lord who is my shepherd, the Lord who means I shall not want. There is nothing more precious than that now. That is the solace that we as Christians can enjoy now, the comfort and the hope. Imagine you had two columns. And all the things that are against you in one column, whatever it might be, the things you fear, the things that feel like headwinds pushing against you, opposition, heartache, pain, whatever, all it is there in one column. And in the other column, you have all the things that are for you. There's only one thing in that column, or there only needs to be one thing in that column, the youngest son of the father, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if he is for you, well, then you know that everything is going to be okay. That every blessing will come to you in the end. He is our shepherd and our redeemer. Always with us. Redeems us from all things. Blessing is found in the youngest son of the father. Second, blessing is found in the mighty and merciful king of God. Now, Jacob has given this special blessing to Joseph and his sons. It's like a kind of pre-blessing that they receive. And then the whole family gets together in chapter 49. And Jacob makes these pronouncements over his sons, a kind of a mix of, of predictions and blessings. But listen to verse 28. Right at the end there, all these are the 12. <laughs> do you want me to give that back? I'm going to give you that back. No, that's fine. I do this all the time. Um, I once had to buy a drill to uh, get my wedding ring from underneath um, some decking. But anyway, <laughs> I didn't want to draw attention to it, though, Luca. So um, I don't think I did. I think we got away with that. 
Um, a mixture of, of predictions and, and blessings. So, so, so look at the right at the end there, verse 28, chapter 49. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is what their father said to them when he blessed them, giving each the blessings appropriate to them. That kind of summary sounds great, doesn't it? Gather around, children. Let me speak good things over you. Let me offer and promise you good things. It's like being a child at Christmas. On Christmas Day when we were young, still with, with our kids, you, you had to go to church first. You can open the presents. But then you got home and you, know, you gather around the tree and you're, you're waiting for the presents to be dished out. That, that, that sense of anticipation. What am I going to get this year? And then Jacob starts. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, the first sign of my strength, excelling in honor, excelling in power. Sounds good, doesn't it? Reuben's face lights up, his heart pounding in a, the sense of anticipation building. What am I going to get? Reuben, you will no longer excel. For you went up onto your father's bed, onto my couch, and you defiled it. In front of the whole family, Jacob knocks Reuben down. Your future is not going to be bright. Because you climbed into my bed and you slept with the woman that I was attached to. Talk about uncomfortable conversations around the dinner table. In front of the whole family, he's pulled down. And then it gets worse for Simeon and Levi. Cursed be them, says Jacob. May they be scattered. It's not going how we thought, is it? You know, if it, this is meant to be blessing. Verse 28 clearly says, Jacob blessed them. So where is the blessing? Well, maybe this is the blessing. That those who are not suitable to lead in any way, Reuben, firstborn, should have been the leader, those who would cause more harm than good if they had any power and influence, Simeon and Levi, next in line, they should have been the leaders. They are kept from positions of power. And that's true, isn't it? That the best thing the Lord could do for Reuben and for his people Israel was to keep Reuben and his descendants away from any place of power or influence. That is a hard truth, but it is still true today. Blessing can come to you and to others because the Lord stops you. He stops you being something. He, he stops you taking up some position in, in church, in life. Why? Well, it might be because if you had stepped into that role and stepped into that position, it would have been more miserable for you and more miserable for God's people. That there is blessing in this judgment on, on Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. But let's get to the more positive things. Two of Jacob's sons are given more space, more time, more words than the others, and their futures are much more positive. Judah and Joseph. If you're going to look at these blessings with a literary eye, you would see that the way that they are structured, that, that Judah and Joseph mirror each other. They have the same number of verses, words given for their blessing. They are meant to be held together as a pair. Because it is through these two sons, these two tribes, that the greatest blessing is promised to God's people. Both are given royal positions. 
Judah is a king, verse 10. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. Joseph is a prince. He is known as the prince among his brothers, verse 26. And they bring blessings through different means. Judah is a king who brings blessing through his might. Joseph is a prince who brings blessing through his mercy. Let's have a look at those each in turn. First, Judah. So from Judah will come the rulers of Israel, and those kings will be mighty, verse 11. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. He'll be like a lion's cub, young and fierce, and ready to pounce and devour his enemies. Judah-like rule is mighty. He will devour, consume his enemies. In verse 10, there is one Judah-like king to be waiting for. One who will come and claim that crown and that rule, not only over Israel, but over all nations. And of course, this king is the youngest son of God, Jesus Christ. He is, Revelation 5, the lion of Judah, the mighty king who devours his enemies. You look at the life of Jesus, and that's what you see him doing, isn't it? He goes toe-to-toe with Satan, sin, and death, and he wins. He is the lion of Judah who devours his enemy, and in doing so, he brings blessing. Back in 49, verse 11, this king will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. Normally, you would never tie your donkey to a vine tree. You'd eat all the grapes. Be madness. Unless you have so many vines and so many grapes that it doesn't really matter. It's like thinking about that Christmas idea, having Christmas meal. It's like laying it out on the table, but you don't lock up the dog. And so when your back is turned, the dog eats everything on the table. And it's the kind of thing dogs would do, isn't it? But you don't mind. You've got another 10 tables worth of food ready to put on the table. It doesn't matter. Abundant blessing. And this king washes his garments in wine. It's like bathing in champagne. That the mighty king who devours his enemy brings abundant blessing. But of course, that blessing on the whole, it's future, isn't it? It's like Jacob says in verse 18, we have to wait. And so here's what you need to grab hold of. If Jesus is your mighty king, who has devoured your enemies, then there is solace as you wait for all that abundant blessing. Comfort now, and it's this, the worst is over. Because think for a moment, who are your greatest enemies? Well, Satan, it's sin, and it's death. Jesus has devoured them all. Through his death and his resurrection, he's broken the power of Satan and sin. He's punched a hole through death. And so do you see, you, you can say, as you wait, the worst is over. You will never face hell if you are trusting in the Lord Jesus as your mighty king. You will never experience the anger, the judgment of God. 
if you are trusting in Christ. And even when you battle Satan and sin now, you battle a defeated Satan. And one day when you experience death, you experience a defeated death. The worst is over if you are trusting in Christ. And as hard as this life might be, this is the comfort. It will never get worse than this. The Lion of Judah has devoured our enemies. During university, I said to a friend, let's go on a holiday in the summer, and he booked us seven days in Iceland, and not really what I was after. But anyway, we went on this, this trip, and part of it was this hike over a glacier, three-day hike. Miles and miles, up and down, around volcanoes, over solidified lava flows. And by the end of day two, I was pretty much done, thinking this is not the summer holiday that I had in mind. But then the terrain levels out, and you could look back, and you could see the hard stuff that you had done, what you'd walked over. And you could look ahead, and you could see the, destiny, the end point. And you could tell the worst was over. Sure, we still had some rivers to cross, there were some gentle climbs we still had to do. We weren't home, but the worst was over. The Lion of Judah has devoured our enemies, therefore the worst is over for us. That is our solace. That is what saves us from self-pity, self-destructiveness, despondency and grumbling. As hard as it is, it will never be worse than this. Judah points us to a mighty king, but much more briefly with Joseph. He has a slightly different feel. Judah excelled in might, Joseph excels in mercy. Listen to the words addressed to Joseph in verse 23. With bitterness, archers attacked him. They shot at him with hostility. Who are these archers? Who's been attacking Joseph? Well, it's his brothers, isn't it? They attacked him, they kidnapped him, they enslaved him. But this is what makes Joseph stand out. This is what makes him worthy to be called a prince amongst his brothers. Look at his response, verse 23. But his bow remained steady. Or better, His bow remained unmoved. What does that mean? He didn't fire back. Time and time again, Joseph could have got revenge on his brothers. But he never did. He always chose mercy and forgiveness instead of vengeance and revenge. It reminds me of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when a squadron of soldiers approaches him ready to arrest him and send him to his death. And Jesus says to Peter, look, if I wanted, I could call down armies upon armies to wipe these soldiers out. But he doesn't. He shows mercy and grace. Or or on the cross when he said to those who were hurling insults at him and nailing him down, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Again, he chose mercy. See, our allegiance to Jesus, the the mighty king, but also the merciful king, here is our comfort. Because yes, we have to wait now for that abundant blessing to come. 
And while we wait, we will give in to self-pity, and we will give in to defiance, and we will give in to grumbling. But when we do, we can repent. And the bow of Jesus will remain unmoved. He responds with mercy as we wait. Mentioned Revelation 5 earlier, John is told Jesus is the Lion of Judah who will accomplish all of God's promises and blessings. And then John looks, and you know what he sees? Revelation 5, a lamb that was slain. Jesus is the youngest son, according to his human nature, the mighty and merciful king who brings blessing, the Lion of Judah, the lamb who was slain. Here is solace for your soul. Your king is mighty against your enemies. He is merciful towards you. As we finish, let me bring to mind Psalm 2. It's a psalm sang at the coronation of Israel's kings. The Lord says to the king, you are my son. Today you have become my son. The Lord says to everyone else listening, kiss the son. And blessed are all those who take refuge in him. This is how you find blessing and solace. You kiss the son. You show allegiance to Jesus. The youngest son of the father through whom all blessings come. The mighty and merciful king who is mighty against your enemies but merciful towards you. This is why you build your life around the Lord Jesus Christ and why you kiss the son. You show allegiance to him because only in him is there blessing for eternity and solace and comfort now. Show allegiance to Jesus. When required, I'm going to pray.